this is Cole. Thanks for tuning in. I have a fun episode to share with you today. It was actually originally recorded as a premium live event just about a year ago. But don't worry, the tips and strategies I outline are just as relevant today. As I record these words, we've just begun a new year, 2022. It's a time when many, myself and the team here at Storytelling with Data included, reflect and set goals. That said, irrespective of the time of year, if improving the way you and your team or organization communicate with data is something you'd like to accomplish, you've tuned into the right episode. By the way, if you'd like to not only listen to strategies that will help you design a great graph, but also see data visualizations transformed, you'll be happy to hear that Storytelling with Data is on YouTube. Tune in to see data visualization makeovers, short tips and tricks, longer form lessons, and even video recordings of the podcast episodes you enjoy. Check out our channel at storytellingwithdata.com slash YouTube. In particular, I'll point you to part one of the Data Viz Superstar video series, where you can see me progress through visuals along the data visualization spectrum that you'll hear about momentarily. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. With that, sit back and enjoy listening about how to become a Data Viz Superstar. Welcome to Storytelling with Data the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole nussbaumer Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hello, I'm Cole, and I have some exciting content to bring to you on becoming a data visualization superstar. I should probably start off by explaining exactly what I mean by that. When I think of being a superstar in this space, I think part of that is doing fantastic work, but really going beyond that and establishing yourself as a resource for those around you, for your team, for your organization, and really supporting others to help them do their best work. So with that in mind, I have five points that we are going to go through today that will help you form your own personal path toward becoming a data visualization superstar. We're going to start off and do a little self-evaluation and consider both where your current work is along a spectrum and where you'd like to be, as well as how that fits into the work that your broader team is doing and where that falls along the same spectrum. Because it turns out we actually can't move as individuals too far past where our teams are, or at least it's not a recipe for success. Also, doing the self-evaluation helps us understand whether our time and attention is going to be best spent developing our own skills or helping share with those around us. That'll bring us into the second point, which is about getting really specific on what we want to learn, what we want to develop in ourselves, and thoughtful about how we apply that in our day-to-day. Now, of course, to do all of this, we need to gain support. 
That might be from our manager or colleagues or maybe our users or audience members. So we'll talk about specific tactics for gaining that sort of report, uh, as well as influencing when you might meet some resistance. Setting good goals is one way to ensure continued focus and progress. In this section, we'll talk about going beyond just setting the goals and really holding ourselves accountable and assessing our progress against those stated goals. This will help us make sure that we're tackling meaty things. Then we'll spend some time in our final point talking about how we can drive real change and really be intentional about why we're doing all of this in the first place. In this section, I'll also introduce a tool that you can use to form your own personal plan when it comes to forging that path to data visualization superstardom. Now, I want to start by spending some time talking about how you can evaluate your own work. So imagine a spectrum for communicating with data. We're going to start at the bottom left and work our way upwards and to the right. Generally, sophistication is increasing as we move upward, as is the benefit that you can bring to your work and your team and your organization as we move along this path. So if we're early in our analytical journey, often it starts with tables. We might have data that we're able to get at for the first time. And so we can start to aggregate it and then report out on that. And often that happens first in tabular form. As we increase in sophistication, we move into what I call the ugly graph stage. And this is, we've taken a big step in an awesome direction, which is we're now visualizing our data, but we may just be getting to know our tools. So we're relying on a lot of the default settings, not really thinking too much about the design of our graphs yet. And that's what really differentiates the ugly graph stage from simple graphs. So when we get into simple graphs, we are starting to get to know our tools better, and we're using that understanding to make some changes and help the graphs that we make really meet the needs of our given situation. We might be bringing in our company branding at this point, so our graphs start to look not like something that Excel or another tool spit out, but instead look like something that our team or our organization made. We can continue stepping up our sophistication by not just showing data, but thinking about what we're trying to communicate with that data. Where do we want our audience to look and what do we want them to see? And we start to take design steps to our graphs that help enable those things and make them clear. And then, of course, we can take things to another level when we move beyond a specific graph and start to think more holistically about how we can weave our data into an overarching narrative or story. So I'll ask you at this point to think about where you would place your own work along this spectrum. And consider, is that where you'd like it to be? Would you like to make changes there? 
Because it turns out there are some really concrete things that we can do to help ourselves and our teams move from one point on this path to the next. So for example, if we've been communicating mostly with tables, we can move into that ugly graph stage by starting to visualize our data. Make it something that others can see. We bring value in an entirely different way when we do that. We can move from ugly graphs into simple graphs. Often a big step that will bring us there is simply decluttering, undoing some of the standard things that our tools do for us. This is where we can start to bring in some of our company design and branding as well. We can move from simple graphs into good graphs by being thoughtful about how we use contrast to direct attention and the words that we start to pair with our graphs to make the takeaway or the point clear. And then we can take that further from good graphs and start weaving those into stories by applying that principle of story and narrative structure that brings the disparate data that we want to communicate together. Let's take a look at what an example could look like at different points along this spectrum. So imagine that you work for a company that does an annual corporate fundraiser. It's a combination of monetary donations and food donations that are brought together to make meals to feed those in need in the community in which your organization operates. So you track a simple metric over time, which is just the number of meals served per year. So if we're just starting off, maybe this is our first time really looking at this data and reporting out on it, we might start with a tabular view a decade's worth of meals, how much we've served per year. So we think about moving along that spectrum, increasing sophistication, we might graph the data. So imagine an ugly graph that looks like Excel spit it out because it did, right? No additional time was taken to play with the formatting. But we see this data now in a way that wasn't possible with the table. We can move from ugly graphs to simple graphs by decluttering and bringing in some branding, some design into how this graph looks and feels through simple choices like font and color and the position of elements within the graph. We could think about not just showing the data, but continuing our increasing sophistication and making a specific point with the graph we want to show. And as we continue to move along that spectrum, we can step out of the graph and consider whether this might be a scenario where it would make sense to tell a data story, which could sound like this. So this year, we have an incredible opportunity ahead of us when it comes to being able to meet the needs of families in our community. Just to set the context, we started providing meals to those in need in our area a decade ago. It all started with a pilot program that turned out to be wildly successful. We formed over 40,000 meals in that very first year. So we rolled that out company-wide. And as the company grew, so did our participation. 
So a little bit of stagnation after that, but double down on marketing efforts so that we could make sure people were aware of this important program. And we saw things really skyrocket from there up until 2017, which, as you know, was a hard year for us. We had several rounds of layoffs. It was sad to see our colleagues go and also sad to see the impact it had on overall giving, not only as a result of us having a smaller employee base, but also just the uncertainty that people had for their own future with the company. We saw that stabilize in the years after that until this past year, which, as you know, was a crazy year on multiple fronts. Uh, But unfortunately, it impacted our giving as well. And it did that in a time where we know there are not fewer families in need in our community, but rather many more. So this year, we look forward and we think there's a huge opportunity here to surpass what we've done in the past and feed more families than ever before. We have some ideas on how to do this, but we want to hear yours as well so that we can prioritize and make 2021 a fantastic year by feeding our community. So that gives you an idea of what visuals can look like along different points in this path. None of these is meant to be right or wrong, right? This is simply an illustration of how our graphs look different, both for ourselves and for an analytical team, as a result of where we are at in our analytics and data visualization journey. And now I've drawn this as a straight line here just to keep things simple, but that's oversimplifying. Really, this is a winding path and it's not always so straightforward or easy to get from one point on it to the next. Sometimes you'll spend a lot of time at one point. Other times you may pretty much skip past another. You will encounter setbacks and challenges along the way. Also, one thing to be aware of, and maybe it's the most important thing to be aware of, is we talked about where you are on the path, but also important is the context of where your broader team or organization is along this path. Because it turns out you as an individual actually can't move too far beyond where your organization is, or at least it's not a recipe for success. Right? If you imagine if your team is at the ugly graph stage, you can't start telling stories with data. There's too much of a gap there for that to work. And this can be useful as part of the self-evaluation progress or process because it tells us whether we should devote our time first and foremost on continuing to develop our own skills or if that time might be better served helping bring those around us along with us. That's actually a great segue from self-evaluating into the next point I want to cover when it comes to learning and applying what we've learned on this path to become data visualization superstars. So I did a podcast episode a couple of years ago where 12 lovely humans volunteered to share their experience of how they each individually learned how to visualize data. And this was very interesting from a number of standpoints. 
But one interesting thing was it was the same small handful, one or two, maybe three books that people kept mentioning over and over again. And another theme that came up was that it used to be challenging to find good resources in this space. Data visualization as a discipline is relatively young. Today, the challenge is a much different one. Today, there are so many resources out there that it can be overwhelming. And it's not always a straightforward process to find the ones that are good or the ones that are going to be most relevant to your individual needs. Let's talk about how we can overcome that. And I want to put forth some specific recommendations about how you can learn and apply. And I should preface, these are simple. We're not going to cover anything crazy or groundbreaking here, but that's because I think a reminder of the basics can be good as we're setting out to develop our skills and the skills of those around us. We don't have to do it all at once. We shouldn't try to do it all at once. So the first component in that is being really specific on what it is we want to develop. For example, if we're at that ugly graph stage, if we think back to the spectrum that I introduced in our first point, my goal might be simply to integrate our company's branding into how I design our graphs. By being that specific on what it is I want to develop, I can really hone in on the smaller set of resources that are going to enable me to do exactly that. As I do, one of the things I want to think about doing is apply these new skills or knowledge in low-risk spaces first. This might be outside of your day-to-day -day job or in small ways in your day-to-day -day so that you can use that to understand what's working and iterate. So by the time you really employ it in your day job, you have a good understanding of how it's going to work and what to do to make it work. And actually, this was one of the main drivers behind creating the Storytelling with Data community, was to create a safe space where people can go to do this sort of practicing and learning and getting feedback which is another critical part of the learning process. When you start doing things differently, solicit input from others. This can be in the community, on the day job, it can be from colleagues or users or potential audience members. And you want to really model asking for feedback in an effective way. So a couple specific tips to offer related to that. So first off, when you ask for feedback, be specific on what you want feedback on, right? Going back to the first point we covered here, if you really are clear on what it is you want to develop, you can share that with the person or people whom you're soliciting feedback from so that they know to concentrate on that as part of the input that they offer. Also, be upfront with, about any constraints that you face are, that are going to be important to know. For example, if you're working on something that has to be turned in that day, it's going to warrant a different level and type of feedback than if you have a broader amount of time to make changes. So after you've done that, you're specific on what you want feedback on, upfront about any constraints, then listen without interrupting. 
Maybe you can ask some questions to clarify, but what you really want to avoid is getting into the situation where you're defending the reasons that you made the decisions that you did, because that will shut down the conversation and end your opportunity to get good feedback. So once you've set the stage, let the person who's providing input just talk. And then make sure you take something from what they have offered you and incorporate that into your next iteration. So if you model asking for good feedback in this way, over time, you'll likely find that people will start coming to you for feedback. And then when they do, they will have a good model to work after to be asking you for effective feedback. When people start doing that, then we move into my final recommendation in this specific space, which is look for opportunities to teach others. So when we do that, then we really solidify the learning for ourselves. But you want to be thoughtful and do this in a way that's going to make other people's lives and work easier. As a counter example here, I used to work with a colleague who would share articles, right? Every article he read, he shared. And I think this was coming from a good place. We found something that was interesting, thought others might enjoy. But over time, he forwarded so many articles that it got to be overwhelming and actually maybe even formed a little bit of resent in some of the team of either, wow, this guy's really blowing through his work. How does he have time to stay up on top of all of these different things? Or maybe he's not doing his work. He's spending all day reading articles. Not really sure. But in either case, he wasn't being thoughtful of his users, his audience in that case, was forwarding stuff as it came to him. A more thoughtful way or one way to approach this when you want to share could be rather than send every article as it comes up or every resource as you encounter it, volunteer to lead a session in your weekly team meeting or at an offsite to synthesize and take your colleagues through some of your learning, which can be a way to get to know that stuff better yourself too. Because then you're going beyond just giving feedback about the what and really thinking about how you can articulate the why. So think of how you can target your learning by doing these things. Now, to do any of the points that we've talked about so far, we have to gain support. This might be support from a manager or colleagues or potential users of the thing that we want to do differently. Actually, for this, I'm going to reflect back on some of my path at Google and use that to then generalize some ways that we can use broadly to generate support in those around us. Prasad Seti led the people analytics team when I joined Google. And I worked there for a number of years. And at times I reported to Prasad directly. At other times I reported to managers who reported to Prasad. But he was always the one ultimately whose support I needed. But I never asked for that support. I earned it. And I earned it over time by doing a number of things. First and foremost was concentrating on doing great work. I was hired to do a job, so that is the first thing that has to happen, is I want to consistently exceed expectations in the role that I've been hired to do. It's only after that that we can really start to think about moving beyond our core job. 
And once I had developed the ability to do that, then feedback became very important. Anytime I wanted to try something new, maybe it was a new methodology for how we were modeling something or a different way to show data than we had done before. I would get input from my colleagues around me. I wouldn't go straight to Prasad or one of my internal clients. I would try things out in smaller ways first, it, learn from that process, iterate. And also, I was building support in my colleagues around me through doing this. Actually, as I mentioned, in context of feedback and learning, the more I asked for feedback, I found the more people started coming to me for feedback. Because it turned out that this space, data visualization that I was interested in, wasn't something that many people had given a ton of thought to before. The breadth of skills in the team in which I worked were diverse. We had technical experts, PhD in statistics and organizational psychology. But not a lot of people had spent a lot of time thinking about how we communicate data, how we build our graphs and our slides. So as I started to invest in these skills in myself, others started to come to me soliciting feedback. And actually through that and extending beyond that, I formed connections with other people who were interested in this space, both in my immediate team, but also reaching further out into other analytical teams across the organization. Right? I'd have coffee or lunch with someone and we would share our work and learn from each other. And actually, it was through these feedback and connections that I became known for doing good work in this space. And that when the opportunity came up to start building coursework and teaching classes more broadly at Google, people came to me for that. And back to Prasad, it was because of all of the things that I had done along the way, right? focusing first and foremost on doing great work, soliciting feedback and iterating so I knew what was going to work before I put it in front of Prasad or his peers, and then forming these connections that by the time I really needed Prasad's support, it was already there because that foundation had been built over years of work. And really the thing I needed his support for most was time, time to invest further in these skills and figure out how to teach others. And eventually that support even got me the flexibility to be able and supported in doing that in ways that stretched beyond my team and beyond Google. So stepping back and thinking what we can generalize out of that, as well as other learnings over time, I think when it comes to gaining support, the first thing you have to focus on is getting your job done and getting your job done well. I encounter this too much with client work where someone will get really frustrated because they want to do this thing when if they really were to reflect, they want to do this thing, but they're not maybe meeting all of the things that they need to be doing in their core job first. And maybe I'm a traditionalist when it comes to this, but we are being hired to do a specific job. And so knocking that out of the park is a requirement to earn any sort of flexibility to move beyond that day-to-day -day work. Once you've done that, you want to get feedback. And we talked about feedback in context of learning. Feedback, though, is also critical in the context of generating support from those around you. 
And this means getting feedback, not only from those who are already supportive, but especially from those who might have resistance to what you want to do or how you want to do it. There are such rich learnings that can come from those conversations and in understanding what might be driving someone's resistance so that you can figure out how to flip that around and turn it into support. When it comes to building connections, it's another way to make connections with people who will support you. I did this informally at Google. I'd have coffee or meet for lunch with someone. We have a client who we've worked with for a number of years who's taken a more formal approach here. They've created a center of excellence at their organization internally for data visualization and invited people from analytical teams all across the organization. This allows them a central way to provide resources, uh, training, helping people connect and develop their skills. Another thing that I didn't really touch on in my story, but that certainly was part of the learning at Google and from my time there, was to embrace resistance. This might sound sort of counterintuitive, but when we are thoughtful about how we react to resistance and setbacks, that's actually when we can learn the most, the fastest. But we have to be thoughtful, right? And not just let a challenge come up and point us in the other direction, but work to understand where the resistance might be coming from or how that misstep occurred that we might do differently next time. How do we take that and turn it around into support? You can use some of these other uh, things that we've covered uh, to be able to do that. One thing I'll just point out that you should notice, not on this list is any crazy investment in tools or resources, trainings, and such. Neither of those things are requisites to being able to do and support good work in this space. Because good work in this space, what people really need, typically first and foremost, is time and the ability to practice. Sure, there's some foundational knowledge that's helpful, but for that, you can get scrappy. If there's a book that you recommend, I have a couple I might recommend, uh, buy a copy for your team's library. Or if you're a manager, buy a copy for everyone on your team. Have them do a book club. Build that foundational knowledge, but then what you need as an individual is to get the support so you have time and flexibility to practice. And if you are a manager of a team, consider how you can give or help your team make time to be able to practice these things and help be a buffer so that they get some patience with internal clients or otherwise to be able to apply learnings and understand that there'll be some missteps along the way, but that's going to help improve everyone's work over time. So there's some thoughts on gaining support. Let's shift gears next and talk about setting good goals. And for this, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about a goal-setting process that I learned at Google that we have used religiously at Storytelling with Data over time. That is objectives and key results, OKRs. We actually, at Storytelling with Data, we just finished setting our 35th 
quarter of OKRs, uh, which felt like a crazy big number. We've been doing this for 10 years. We've missed a couple quarters. I think that was mostly from maternity leaves. But we, for the most part, very consistently on a quarterly basis, set ambitious goals and assess ourselves against those goals. So OKRs are made up of two pieces. There's the objective, which is the goal. This is what you're setting out to accomplish. It should be ambitious, but realistic. And you want it to communicate action. Typically, you'll have a handful of these. We're going to focus on just setting one for our path today on becoming a data viz superstar. So the objective is supported by key results. And these are the how, right? How you're actually going to make that objective happen and meet it. So the key results, they're specific. It is critical that they are measurable. So typically uh, they're time bound in some way. It might be a deadline or a frequency with which you want to do something. So they're specific, they're measurable, they're limited in number, usually three to five-ish key results will support a given objective. I mentioned this, but we do this process quarterly and quarterly cadence for me is perfect because it is a long enough time horizon to take on meaty things, but not so long that we run the risk of getting off track by too much or being totally out of sync with maybe the company uh, objectives. And one important process, and this might be the most important part of the OKR process, is not just setting the goals on a quarterly cadence, but also assessing your progress against them on a quarterly basis. So at the beginning of the quarter, we set our OKRs, we talk through them with each other, give feedback, refine. It's usually a couple-week process. And then at the end of the quarter, we go back and we assess ourselves of how we did when it comes to what we set out to accomplish. We actually grade our OKRs. We do that on a simple scale of zero to 10, which zero means I didn't get to it at all, no attention. 10 means you did everything you set out to do. And then we use the numeric whole number scale in between. Now, the specific numeric values aren't so important. The important thing is the kind of self-reflection and conversations that they drive. That four, for example, would cause me to really think about, well, what happened there? Did priorities change and that was on purpose and that was okay? Or was this something important that I just didn't devote enough time or attention to? So that then can change how I might look forward to the coming quarter. And then we can take our grades for individual key results and average those for our grade for our objective. Then we can say, if our key results were met, then we met our objective, or we can assess to what extent we did so. And then in the case where you have multiple objectives, you can average across those. Don't usually recommend taking the average of an average, but I think here it's okay. That'll give you a signal overall for the quarter, which can be something that's then is interesting to be able to reflect on over time. Let's take a look at an example. This is from a client uh, with whom we work. They are in the manufacturing space. So they have a ton of data about production and inventory levels and so forth. And they work on communications that go to the leadership team and in particular, the president of the organization. 
And historically, they have communicated their data primarily through tables. And in fact, when they've tried to use graphs, they've been met with some resistance. Or typically, when they put in a graph, the first question they get back is, can I see all of the data? And there was one, though, individual who was persistent and said, no, I really feel like we can be doing more. We can be bringing more attention and insight to the important aspects of the data if we visualize it. And so he kept at it. He read books and started applying what he was learning, not in the communications that go to the president, but in other lower risk places first. And actually, the president was meeting with someone who happened to have, I don't know if it was on their computer screen or in a folder, but happened to have one of the communications that this individual had created for somebody else and said, why doesn't my stuff look like that? So now there's an opportunity, right? And a new understanding, because now it's clear. It wasn't that the president didn't like graphs. It was that she didn't like confusing graphs. So now knowing this, there's renewed energy on the part of this individual to want to move the team around them beyond tables for how they communicate with data. So think about what the objective and key results could look like in this particular scenario. The objective might simply be to help move people beyond tables and start to graph the data that is in the communications going to the president and the leadership team. We think specifically about how we might accomplish this and take steps towards it in the coming quarter. Perhaps having a weekly meeting time set aside to discuss best practices with colleagues would be one way to keep this on people's minds, get them thinking about it. As an individual, I could also focus on continuing to sharpen my own skills. I might look to a specific category of exercises in the community in order to do that. And by the way, the search and filter functionality in the Storytelling with Data community is fantastic for this because we have everything tagged with the core lesson. And that means you can filter to get specific resources on what you're trying to develop and be served up articles and podcasts and exercises that are really specific to that given lesson. So be sure to check that out. As another result, I can think about specifics for integrating graphs in the different communications. So maybe I want to aim for one in February, learn from that and iterate, get three graphs into our communications by the time of the quarterly business review and have those graphs work in a way that gets rid of that request for seeing all of the data. And you can imagine when I go through things this specifically, at the end of the quarter, I can really assess how I did, right? And to what extent I met my objective, which means then I can reflect on how I can push things even further forward when it comes to the next So we've spent some time on goals, and actually there was a podcast done a couple of years ago if you'd like to hear more about the OKR setting process and additional examples. You'll find that on the podcast page. Search for goals like Google. It was episode 13. 
We've covered a lot. We've talked about setting good goals, but it turns out everything we've talked about so far becomes important context for being able to do that. But before we go there, I want to spend a moment on driving real change. So this sounds like it's got to be a monumental thing, but that's not actually how I mean it at all. What I want you to think about here is being intentional about why you're doing all of this in the first place. You want to be a data viz superstar. Why? What's the driving purpose? You might think data visualization is cool, which is great. It is. It's a fun space, but that's not going to be enough to motivate you through the setbacks and challenges that you are going to encounter. So you want to dig deeper, really identify and articulate your purpose. My hope is that you're doing this because of the impact you can have. And that's the impact in the day to day, helping people understand something better so that they can have a more robust discussion or consider the right sort of options or take an action with increased confidence. And it's by drawing on all of the points that we've covered today that we can put together a plan to do that. Actually, to that end, we've put together the big picture worksheet. I'm going to step you through this piece by piece. And it actually follows the same path we took today in thinking about these different uh, facets related to how we can forge a path to data visualization superstardom. So let me take you through the pieces of this worksheet, and then I'll tell you where you can get your own copy. So it starts off the same way we started our session today, with a segment that prompts you to self-evaluate. Consider where you're at along this spectrum of data visualization communications that we talked about and where you like to be in the context of where your team is. Because as we discussed, you can't really successfully move too far past or beyond your team. So when you are at that point, then you want to think about how you can help bring others along with you. Then we can think about what exactly it is we want to learn and what resources we're going to turn to, how we're going to apply those learnings thoughtfully in our jobs, and who we are going to turn to in order to get good feedback. We also want to consider where we're likely to gain support or meet resistance and how we can make use of the support we expect and how we can overcome the resistance that we encounter. So all of this context is great to think about and use to influence the goal that we set in the near term for investing in ourselves and our skills and those of our team around us. So the final section of the worksheet asks you to create your own objective and key results. And this is going to be really specific to you. At the end of this, you have your personal plan for becoming a data visualization superstar. You can find this worksheet. It's actually in the featured exercise in the Storytelling with Data community. It will also live forever in our archives under the title, The Big Picture. 
And I do encourage you, once you've taken the time to reflect and set your goal, there is a current goals section within your member profile in the community. So definitely encourage you to share your goals there. It can be an awesome way for those, whether it's me or someone on the storytelling with data team or other community members are wanting to offer you input or feedback on an exercise or a challenge or a feedback request where we can take those specific goals into account as we do so. It's also just a fun way to get to know your fellow community members better. And I just encourage you leaving the session here today, be clear and intentional on your purpose, form a plan that you can use to execute. And as you look to the future, when it comes to developing yourself and developing your team, consider how you can use the points we've covered today to do that. I'm going to turn things over to Randy and see what questions may have come in as I've been talking. Yes, we've had some great questions come in today, Cole. I'm going to go back to where you were talking about collecting feedback and such. And there was a question from Vanessa, upvoted by Josephine. And the question was, are there any good frameworks to use for collecting feedback? You know, example, is a survey better than a meeting? Great question, Vanessa. I think it really comes down to the situation here. Though, if you can talk to someone directly, you are going to get a richer level of feedback, typically, than you will from a survey. But I I think it depends on your scenario. If you are producing something that's going out to a very large audience and want to collect feedback from the broader group, the signal you can get there is going to be important. But that signal often is just a number, or maybe you get some verbatim comments, but it's often not enough. And it's funny you mentioned this because we've actually been grappling with this at Storytelling with Data as it relates to feedback on our workshops. Because we're finding we, we have this big survey that we would send out that we wouldn't get many responses back. And so we're trying to tackle that in a couple of ways. And one is to do a super fast pulse where we get a numeric signal from a broader group. For example, we did a workshop last week that had 40 people attend, where we did a quick poll during the actual workshop that allowed us to get a numeric signal on how we were doing relative to people's expectations. But we wouldn't just want to do that. And particularly in the case if we're falling short somewhere, because it doesn't give us anything specific to act upon. And that's where if you can talk to people, or in this case, we give people the opportunity to give us verbatim feedback separately as well. And you get such rich context from those conversations that is just not likely to come through in a survey. So I think as I think through this, as I'm talking, a nice approach can be if you're weighing between survey or talking to people, do a combination of those things where the survey can give you a quick overall signal. But then if you're using your feedback to iterate and make changes, have conversations with people or get deeper on the feedback that you're getting so that you really have an understanding of what's driving people's support or resistance and can tackle that directly. Great. And this next one is actually more of a request, but I think you mentioned about the the podcast being available. But Maya had said an essential reading list would be super helpful. 
Yeah, an essential reading. So I'll encourage you to come back to what specifically it is you want to develop because this is a challenging space in that there used to just be the handful of books that I talked about, but now there's a lot. And it's also because data visualization and communication, it draws on learnings from so many different disciplines that a lot of it comes down to what specifically you want to focus on at this point in your journey. And I definitely encourage you, so to get more specific on that, since I don't have that context right now, start a conversation in the community and ask for book recommendations and be specific there about what you are wanting to develop. And I and members of the team can jump in and I know that others in the community will have an even broader view of the different resources that might be helpful there. Certainly, if your goal is simply to push forward on that path that we talked about for being able to communicate with data, I'll recommend the books that I wrote. It seems like an oversight not to, right? So start out with Storytelling with Data, the white book. The blue book, Let's Practice, will help you really get hands-on. But make use of the resources in the community. And that includes other members of the community who can share the resources that are useful to them. All right. Emil says, hello, I'm new to the Storytelling with Data community. Welcome, Emil. Uh, question. Most of my clients require particular color palettes, which sometimes tend to be uh, a straitjacket to our designs. Cole, in your experience, how have you handled this kind of challenge? This is a fun one. And it's so I, I have a different view on constraints, I think, maybe than some people share, which is I think constraints are a beautiful thing. And actually, I've mentioned the podcast a couple of times, but there is a podcast episode that you can find that we did a few years back called The Beauty of Constraints. And color templates are one of those things. So if you have a client that has this crazy color scheme and sometimes they'll have the, you know, it might be a PowerPoint template that you have to use that even the blank slide already has a ton of stuff going on. It just means that we have to be now, knowing that that's the palette with which we start, even more thoughtful about how we design the visuals that are going to go into that. So if you have a client who has a colorful color scheme, don't feel like you have to use all of those colors. And, and to be more direct, don't use all of those colors. You can think about designing primarily in black and white or gray, or if they have a neutral color that's part of their branding, use that neutral color as your baseline and then pick one or maybe two complementary colors to use together. Um, and you can do that in really striking ways. And actually, I'll point you for uh, examples to one of the monthly challenges that we did a while back that was about redesigning a graph. And so everybody took the same graph and was inspired by a different brand and redesigned the same graph in the feel of that brand. And so it's great just to be able to see many views of the exact same data and how it can look so different when you're rolling in the brand of a given company or organization. That was a fun challenge. We'll have to do more with that. But hopefully it gives you a couple of tips to start with. All right, moving to a question from Ravi. Uh, Ravi asks, uh, what would you recommend, any tips or resources for someone who's moving from good graph to data storytelling? When it comes to moving into that data story sphere, it's funny because those points are so close together the way that I drew them there. But 
actually a big shift in communicating. When we move from simply showing a graph or maybe highlighting a takeaway or an observation and really thinking critically about how we can tell a story with that same information. And so drawing back on one of the lessons that we talked about earlier, start in low risk places first and use that to test out strategies. And that could be through exercises or challenges in the Storytelling with Data community. Look for those that go with the lesson, tell a story or the holistic SWD process, or it can be in low risk places in your work. And when you can, preface it with that. Hey folks, today I'm gonna try something a little different. Bear with me, I'm gonna walk you through a story. And after I do that, we can have a conversation around the data, just like we always do, which can help make things easier, both for you, because you've called out what's happening, as well as your audience, particularly if you're doing something that's outside of the cultural norm. And I think that's something to think about as well, is just how you cannot be a lone ranger in trying to do this, but help have teammates around you or identify them, have conversations with them who want to do the same thing. Because as you can gain support from each other, that can snowball in really positive ways, whereby you can then gain the same sort of support from your audiences and your users. And so sit down with your manager, talk to them about your goals and where it might make sense to start flexing and trying out some of these skills. Then you'll get the patience and the time, hopefully, to be able to really do that. Try it out in low-risk spaces first. This can build confidence as well as credibility to then be able to integrate more of it into your day-to-day work. All right, uh, Jennifer from snowy Milwaukee. Have you seen this five-step process applied effectively by solo practitioners? And do they tweak the process in, in particular ways? Hi, Jen. So yes, I absolutely think this is something that soul practitioners can use. But like everything we teach, I encourage you to take a critical lens to it and think about what's going to work best for you in the context of how you work or in the context of the clients with whom you work. I think everything that we talk through, whether it's the stuff today or more broadly, you always want to be thinking about how can you pull the pieces from this and make them work for your specific needs? And I think uh, more specific to your question, where I would recommend starting is with that big picture worksheet and think about working your way through that. And if there are any pieces that feel like they don't relate, pause and reflect on that a while, grapple with it a bit to see if that's actually the case. Because I'm guessing, thinking as I'm talking out loud, that there will be a big overlap, even though we've talked about a lot of the lessons today in the context of you're at an organization, you're trying to impact your team around you, that it's just a different scenario, but the same sort of things will apply when you're an individual trying to impact your client organizations around you. So I'd say start with the worksheet, see how that goes. And of course, feel free to reach out if you have questions or want to uh, talk more about that idea. I think we have time maybe for one last question, Rand, if there is one. Great. We do have one question from Yust, who says, very practical question, but it's related to what you mentioned about time being always in short supply. I noticed that creating good graphs and data stories takes a lot of time. Do you have any tips on how to streamline the process? 
Yes, this is absolutely right. So doing all of this takes time. Doing it well takes even more time. And it always takes more time than you want it to or more time than you think it should. But I highly recommend carving out the time to do this because you think of all of the work that you do behind the scenes, it's in that ultimate communication that all of that work either succeeds or doesn't. And so spending time on the part of the process that other people are going to see is going to be time well spent. Now, when it comes to specific tactics, of course, getting to know your tools well, always thinking about how you can make things more efficient, and it does get faster the more you do it. Anytime you're moving from one point on that spectrum to the next, it feels clunky and slow and hard at first. And like learning anything, the more you do it, the faster and more efficient you get and the tricks you'll find. So get to know your tools well, carve out time for this part of the process, but it's never going to be you push a button and it's done because this is the part that requires careful thought and attention. And it will be time well served when you get your message across or you get the action that you need to have happen, happen. So I guess that's my other recommendation here is don't try to do everything with everything you touch. Be really thoughtful and prioritize how you do spend your time so you're spending more time on the more important things. I think that's a great sentiment which with to wrap things up. So we've covered a lot today in a pretty quick time. Right, just to give a quick recap on our path to data visualization stardom, we talked about first pausing to evaluate where we're at and where we're at in context of our team. We talked about the benefits of getting specific on what we want to develop and how we can apply that first in low-risk spaces and then to our day-to-day. We discussed getting support and how to influence those around us so that we have the flexibility to be doing the things that we want to do. And to push progress forward, we want to set good goals and assess our progress against those goals on a regular basis. And finally, we spent a little bit of time talking about why we're doing this all in the first place and the importance of being clear on our intention. So I I hope that you'll consider how you can use the points that we've covered today for yourself and your team to become a data visualization superstar. Thanks very much for tuning in. 